0: Hello, this is Megan Morgan, and I am back with another episode of my podcast, uh, Cocktails and Cookbooks. Um, do you feel like doing a podcast introduction is completely awkward? Have you ever done a podcast introduction? If you have, have you found it to be awkward? These are questions that I have for you because I find doing the podcast introduction to be awkward. And I would very much like to just start talking to you straight away without having to introduce myself because I feel like that's much easier I am always someone who has been very averse to small talk um, I'm like I don't want to hear about the weather I don't want to hear all the names of your siblings and such please just like tell me your life stories you know what I mean I I like to I like to dive into the deep end um, right away uh, the the big hefty meaty conversations are sort of where I like to live and, uh, so let's dismiss with pleasantries and, and, you know, like get right into it. But this is a podcast, so I have to tell you what it is at the top, I guess. Um, tonight I am here with, um, I suppose it's a cookbook. I think it counts. It has recipes in it and things that you consume. Um, it is a book called Eat Your Drink, Culinary Cocktails, uh, and it is a book from, uh, Matthew Yellow. I'm assuming that that is uh probably Italian or something in that genre of the world. Uh the world is not split into genres, it's split into places. Uh but I hope you understand what I mean. And this is a book that I first heard about from one of my favorite podcasts. It's another podcast uh called Ologies. I am someone who has always been um a little bit of a uh a part-time scientist, I suppose. Um, I think that I probably would have gone into chemistry or biology or something like that if uh, I had been better at math in school. But I, I always found math to be extremely challenging, and it made my head hurt, and it was hard, and I didn't like it. Um, I always very much preferred to write and to draw and to dance and to do artsy-fartsy things. But I've also always loved to like go bird watching with my dad i've always loved to like go down to the lake that was right next to the house where i grew up and catch like newts and then take them back up into the house and like keep them in a cage for a couple of days and then set them free again um one very memorable summer i caught tadpoles and brought them home and watched some of them eat each other and which was very upsetting for me um and a few of them lived long enough to actually like grow into little baby tree frogs and and that was a very delightful thing um so yeah i've always been interested in science uh biology in pa- particular um and also i've always considered myself a little bit of an armchair psychologist I haven't, uh, I haven't, you know, sat down with serious textbooks and studied psychology extensively. I have done therapy, which, you know, is sort of like, Working on the practice of, of psychology, I suppose, without, you know, it, it's the nuts and bolts without the education, I suppose. So I guess I know a little bit about my own brain, although uh, I probably couldn't tell you much about yours. So yeah, I love, I love this podcast called Ologies. And the idea is that every month a, uh, you know, Allie Ward, the host, and she's pretty big in, you know, science journalism, uh, bring Well, no, every week. Every week she brings on a scientist or an expert in a specific field uh, to talk about, you know, their sort of area of interest. And so she's had on ologies, uh, ologists about, like, butterflies and um, lepidopterology. Yeah, that's lepidopterology. Um, And she's had on – my favorite was a two-part episode called Fearology, The Study of Fear, uh, in which the the uh, psychologist on that show, you know, talked about fear and sort of how it affects us, and I found that one really fascinating and actually legitimately helpful for me from a psychological standpoint. I, I learned a lot about myself and things like that from from that particular <laughs> um, episode. So yes, ologies, I love it. And one of the episodes was called Mixology. In which Allie Ward had on this guest, um, Matthew Bianchon Yellow, the author of this book that I have right now. And he discussed in depth sort of his theory on mixing cocktails. And I don't know that he really loves, um, the idea of being a mixologist because I think it's a term that sort of got thrown around a lot by millennials and came, became this sort of conceptually like a hoity toity sort of like snobby, you know, like drink mixer. Matthew Bianchen Yellow, well we'll get into it here cuz we're going to talk about it uh over the course of this podcast. Um He makes very thoughtful cocktails and they're very foody kind of cocktails. And he does a lot of like infusions with alcohol and, and foaming things. And they're, they're all very like lots of technique involved and lots of very interesting ingredients. And I immediately ordered his book eat your drink. um, And it's one that has been a staple on my shelf ever since. And so that is the cookbook that I'm going to be discussing tonight. The cocktail that I have tonight, give me just a moment, I'm going to have a taste of it. The cocktail that I'm having tonight, oh my god, it's so good. It is based off of one of his cocktails in this book, which is called uh, Monkey See, Monkey Do. Pardon me while I turn to the appropriate page. And he says that it is one that he made for a wedding. And it wa- it, went, it went over very well, apparently. And, oh shoot, I'm not going to be able to find it now. Why didn't I mark the page, Megan Morgan? Why didn't you mark the page? Because I thought that I would be able to find it without any trouble. Okay, here we go. Page 53. It is in the second course section. And there it is. Okay. So his version of this cocktail includes lime juice, agave syrup, uh, watermelon cubes, shiso leaves, uh, ghost pepper sea salt, which is fascinating, Um, gin, elderflower liqueur, which is Saint Germain. I have a bottle. It's really nice. Um, And then viola flowers for garnish. I... I did not have a lot of these ingredients because, you know, um, pandemic and all that. So I sort of made up my own version. And what I did was I used the lime juice. And then instead of watermelon, I used strawberries. And instead of the shiso leaves, I used a handful of basil leaves. And I went ahead and used gin and the elderflower liqueur. And, oh, instead of the ghost pepper sea salt, I used a couple of slices of jalapeno. And so it follows the same general sort of like not exactly the same ingredients, but the same flavor profile. And I'm telling you what, it is delicious. I would be delighted to try the actual version, but this is very fucking good Um, in spite of the fact that I didn't have everything You know, for it, and I sort of feel like the author of the book would very much appreciate the fact that I riffed on his drink rather than making it precisely as written. And it really is—it's—it's delicious. Hold on, Mm. because oh my goodness, oh yeah, it's—it has a lot of—it's very spicy. Which is not necessarily expected in a drink. And then the strawberries, of course, bring that sort of like just yummy, fruity, berry flavor. And the lime juice, of course, is kind of sour and zippy. And then the elderflower liqueur, um, it can be a little sweet, but it also brings in this really nice herbal quality to, to everything that you put it in. Um, and then on top of that, you have gin, which, and the l- wonderful thing about gin is that it's always infused with, um, just like lots of wonderful things. Um, like sometimes it will have like herbs and spices in it. Uh, juniper berries are not uncommon. And so it always has this very woodsy kind of flavor. Gin can be very complex and I have discovered that every variety of gin has a slightly different flavor profile. And so, yeah, different drinks. A gin and tonic can actually be really different depending on what gin you use. And right now what I have is – I don't know. I'll have to put it in the show notes – But, yeah, I've tried a a lot of different kinds of gin, and I have discovered that they're all really, really different from each other Um, just because there are so many different things that you can – that can be put put in it during the brewing to to make it, you know, really have a lot of variety. As I mentioned a moment ago, Ologies is one of my favorite podcasts because it – you just – you learn so much about all of these really specific topics. And it really, Ali does a great job going into these very, f- both funny and also very scientific, like, deep dives on a really broad variety of topics. Like I said, there's been lepidopterology with butterflies. There's been, um, virology There's been mixology, um... She really needs to do an episode on, um, crypto, cryptozoology, because she says cryptozoology in, in the, like, intro, uh, sort of, like, little song. And, uh, she hasn't yet. I, I know some cryptozoologists, so I think I ought to suggest to her, uh, to, yeah, definitely get her, snag her that one right there because cryptozoology is really quite fascinating. Um, especially if looked at from sort of the academic sort of skeptical angle. You, you learn a lot about human psychology and belief and faith by examining crypto, cryptozoology and sort of the way that people come to like really strongly believe in things like the Loch Ness Monster and and, and they're very good opportunities for sort of examining evidence for things and how to debunk things and how to test things. So, yes, Ologies is, I listen to it almost every week. Um, and I just, I, I always talk about <laughs> these episodes of Ologies for days afterwards. And they've given me, like, really some uh, brilliant ideas. They've helped me understand things about myself and about the world around me that I never would have known otherwise. And the episode with Matthew Bianchen Yellow was especially interesting because it's one of the few episodes that has been more about – a and – it's about a, a sort of art area rather than a science area. And, and I think that, you know, science and art, when they come together, I think that that's one of the most beautiful things in, in the world. Um, you know, when, when those two things intersect. And this was a, a sort of episode that really brought in that art element in a way that a lot of them don't because a lot of them you know of course are very focused on uh, very specific areas of study and and you know that is as it should be but every now and then when you get an episode about you know making cocktails, that is really especially lovely and and uh, the authors uh, sort of experience, With alcohol I and and mixing cocktails, I found to be really, really interesting because – and of course, you'll have to go listen to the episode because he can tell his own story far better than I can. But he talks about this in the intro to his book too. His mother was an alcoholic and so – he had a lot of very negative and painful experiences with alcohol, and so he really steered clear of it. Uh, he certainly never expected that he was ever in his life going to be a bartender, but he ended up, he, he was working in, I think it's Los Angeles, and let me see here the library bar at the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel. So he he kind of ended up in this job by accident. He talks in the book about how his very first night working, someone ordered a Cosmopolitan. And he ducked down behind the bar and asked one of the other bartenders, how do you make <laughs> – what's in a Cosmopolitan? Um, he really, truly, you know, sort of began – with almost zero knowledge and he sort of gradually over time gained a respect for alcohol like for for cocktails and and sort of the experience that they were bringing to people he developed an appreciation for it that i think was clearly like very unexpected for him because of his negative experiences and Having this job of bartending really at first radically changed his perspective on cocktails and, you know, they became something more than just a negative experience. They became something that was positive for him, too, and he started to really develop his sense Of, you know, what are what is the basic flavor profile sort of necessary for making a really good beverage? And then once he'd sort of locked that in, he started to branch out. And and he started to make drinks, I think, that for a long time. Up until, you know, like the 2000s, I would say during the 90s. And the 2000s, and up until probably like 2010 or so. Um, a lot of alcoholic beverages, a lot of cocktails were like apple teenies, you know what I mean? And um, Mai Tais, and all of these very sweet and fruity drinks that were designed to sort of be very sweet and also be drunk very quickly and get people like super smashed. And I think that that attitude started to change with the the, once the millennial generation started to sort of come into come of age, you saw this sort of the, the whole hipster thing happened. And I know that a lot of people speak very scathingly of the whole hipster movement. Um, and understandably so, because it can be a little bit, um, pretentious, I suppose. But it also, people started to go back to some of like the old school t- cocktails and explore them and, and reimagine them. And I think that that was probably, like, a very, very good thing for cocktails because we sort of, like I said, descended into this, like, area of there were, like, these very basic American beers, like Miller Light and Bud and all of those kinds of things. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But when it's all that's available, it leads to a very bland world. And then you had the what were sort of considered the girly drinks, like, like I said like apple teenies and you know things like that and and so we were sort of in this like flavor wasteland and I've talked about this with with food too where everything had sort of been distilled down for the sake of convenience and then we sort of had this explosion where my generation was just fucking sick and tired of that and could not deal with it anymore and people returned to, you know, sort of baking bread and cooking complicated meals from scratch. And they also, you also saw a rise in, you know, the uh, the small batch like beer brewing and a rise in, you know, old school classic cocktails. And, you know, this book is definitely comes out of that movement. And... I think that it's really interesting. This is a concept that I've been talking about a lot recently. And that I've been mauling over a lot recently. Where, and, and I think that a lot of this is because of sort of the moment that we're in. Where there are so many things happening. And, you know, for Matthew Bianchinello, Yellow. Cocktails, alcohol, they were something that was a painful part of his past. And he he took this thing that was really difficult and painful for him, and he sort of stayed with it, you know what I mean, in spite of the fact that it was really challenging for him. he He stuck with it, and... Not only did he sort of come to see the other side of it, not only did he come to see the positive the positive and the benefit of this thing that, you know, in his household had been abused and that had caused him pain and suffering. He didn't just sit with it and he didn't just come to see the other side of it. He also... He began to craft it and he began to shape it and he began to make it his own. And eventually it seems like it, I mean, this book demonstrates that this became an art form for him. This became a way for him to express himself and he didn't just sort of learn to understand it. He turned it into something really legitimately beautiful and I think that that is something that is very valuable, not just for people who are artists, but also, but just for, for everyone. I think that, um, you know, a, a lot of us have really struggle with the idea of sitting with our discomfort. And, and I think that a lot of that has to do with the fact that we as a society, We steer away from discomfort. We kind of push – we definitely have a culture of sort of pushing away our negative emotions and and demonizing them. And I know that for me, I – you know, I always considered myself a very, like, gentle and peaceful person. And there was a moment in my life when just a lot of shit had happened. And I was very angry and very much struggling to sort of deal with that anger. And I distinctly remember that at the time, I, I had in my mind sort of locked this concept of that anger that I felt, wasn't me. That anger that I felt was the events around me causing me problems. And my anger was a response that didn't have anything to do with me. It had more to do with what was going on around me. So I wasn't responsible for it. The bad things happening around me were responsible for it. And I sort of had this aha moment after. Uh, like, I don't know, four months of therapy or something where I suddenly realized, and this was a very difficult thing to realize, where I realized, oh, no, like, if I'm behaving, you know, from that angry place, if I am doing things in anger, then I can't keep saying, I can't keep pushing that anger off and behaving as if it is not a part of me. I, I can't, you know, turn it around and say that it's coming from the outside because it's not, you know? Like, w- when I was angry and when I acted out of that place of anger, that was me. Um, and it took me... First of all, that's a very scary thing to, you know, sort of recognize that, oh, okay, I'm angry, and that's part of who I am. Because I think in our society, we very much demonize anger, and that means that when we are angry, if we're a good person, or if we consider ourselves a good person, and don't we all... We have to put that anger into a box where it is something that, like, is not a part of us because anger is bad. And if we have anger and if we're acting out of our anger, then we are also bad. Um, But the truth is that we all have anger and we all sometimes act out of anger and we sort of have to recognize it as being part of ourselves and something that we have to learn how to it's something that we have to learn how to deal with it's something that we have to learn how to recognize and sit with and understand where it's coming from and you know sort of use it as a tool to understand all the other complicated things that are happening inside our brains and if we can express it in a healthy way and and sort of grow with it instead of putting it off in a box and making it something that's not part of ourselves. Uh, when we are angry, that's ours. We have to own that, um, regardless of everything that is happening around us. So I think that this concept of Matthew beyond Chen Yellow, of him sort of sitting with this negative feeling that he had surrounding you know alcohol and cocktails I think that this is sort of an extreme case but a a really interesting sort of example of someone who sat with something that was very uncomfortable and gradually it transformed into or, or it didn't really transform he you know the the alcohol itself is still the same but his concept of it changed um, because he was able to see how he could create things with it that allowed people to have a a an experience that you can't have any other way and i don't mean like getting hammered or anything i mean like alcohol draws flavors out of things that you can't get any other way and and so I think that, yeah, I I find that his story very interesting. And then his approach to cocktails is also very interesting. So, uh, so let's get into his art. So you will not find another cocktail book quite like this one, I think. And the reason why is because the, the theory here is much less treating these cocktails as drinks and more as a food product so i i find that really really fascinating and what matthew bianchin yellow oh my gosh i so hope i'm saying his name correctly because i've said it a lot and if i'm not then i'm going to feel very ashamed of myself what he does is He does a lot of very cool, um, tricksy things. And some of these are even, like, it is just, it is food with, like, some alcohol. For example, the first, uh, the first recipe in the book is for a blood orange cheese and cracker. Um, and basically... What he does in this recipe is he takes slices of blood orange that have been dehydrated so that they, you know, they become a cracker, a little bit of goat cheese, and then there's fig bourbon jelly. So that's where, you know, the liqueur comes in and then lavender buds for garlic, for garnish. This sounds like really legitimately incredible. And it's considered sort of a... um see what is the word used here amuse and i'm so sorry my french as i've mentioned in the past is dreadful amuse bouche which means fun in your mouth uh is his translation of it and so it's not even meant to be an appetizer it's just meant to be you know just a a fun little uh burst of flavor and so in, in that regard the idea of you know, a, a slice of dehydrated blood orange, which I'm sure is very crunchy. I haven't had this, um, because I have no way of dehydrating a slice of blood orange. And, um, that little bit of blood orange and then like some, some cheese and then this fig jelly with bourbon in it. Oh, that, that sounds really incredible and really flavorful and like, Legitimate fun. So a lot of these recipes are incredibly inventive. Um, I will warn you if you're interested in this book that the vast majority of them require ingredients that are like foraged or very rare and nearly impossible to find outside of, you know, farmers markets in California. I live on the East Coast. Um, I have so far failed to find a huge number of ingredients that this book calls for, which is the reason why I very often sort of take the concept, um, and then do a few tweaks based off of what I have and, you know, end up with something that's still really wonderful. This is a book that, just, you know, that's my warning. If you get this book, be aware that You may not be able to make a lot of things in it, but they will inspire you to make other things. And I think that that is, that's a wonderful thing. (laughs) When someone is able to sort of take this bad experience that they have, work through it, come out the other side and make something that is really wonderful and is wonderful on a level that it inspires other people to make things, That that is magic to me. That is just pure, solid it's it's if you did not read calvin and Hobbes as a child then i'm sorry um you should go read calvin and Hobbes now but there was you know um, calvin used to uh calvin is the main character he's a little boy you see him on the backs of people's trucks all the time um which is infuriating because the original creator would hate that um you know the 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 little boy with spiky hair who pees on stuff, uh, and so Calvin, the main character, the boy, would take cardboard boxes and write things on them, and in his imagination, he was inventing things. And one of his inventions was called the Transmogrifier, and using the Transmogrifier, Calvin could turn himself. Into a wide variety of, uh, creatures, of critters, uh, and his, you know, the, the final one that he turned into was a tiger and it was adorable because he was a tiny tiger next to Hobbes, the big tiger. And if you don't know anything about Calvin and Hobbes, then I'm rambling on about something that you have no idea about. Anyway, I consider that sort of process of turning a, a, an experience into, into you know, a book, a piece of art, a movie, a piece of music that is powerful enough to move other people to also create something. That's magic on the level of, like, the transmogrifier. Uh, that sort of process of transforming things into other things into other things and it's really there is this snowball effect and I think that there's a reason why you know art is so important especially right now um it it pushes people you know I I think that really good art doesn't just excite you it also sort of like lights a fire under your ass and gets you up and doing things. And that's often very, uh, actually a difficult process for the artist. I was talking a few weeks ago about how, you know, the artist doesn't really ever truly get to enjoy sort of like the art that they make because they have to go through the process of making it, which is sometimes very painful and difficult. And like I said, in this particular case, you're talking about someone who, uh, you know, I can't even begin to imagine the life experiences involved in having an alcoholic mother. Um, and and so, you know, that that's a very painful and a really sucky thing that you wouldn't want, you know, anyone to have to go through. And yet he took that horrible sucky thing and he made it into something good and sustaining and fulfilling. And so yeah these are inventive and fun um one of my favorite things uh that I have made and that I enjoy every time and pardon me it's called the oro blanco bowl and I've actually made this quite a lot because um for the most part the ingredients are not too difficult for me to get my hands on and it's basically a citrus fruit salad where you take oranges and grapefruit of several different varieties and you very carefully sort of like section them and then split those sections into smaller pieces so that each one's about bite size and you add in allspice and then olive oil and mint leaves and it's really really simple and it's also crazy stupid delicious and it is one of those things that you know, it, it's very flavorful and it's fun to eat and it's pretty fun to make. And I always end up with grapefruit juice all over my kitchen during this process, but it's well worth it because it's citrusy and juicy and just, and then the allspice, uh, the allspice dram really brings a ton of flavor and and it makes it spicy and delicious and yeah it's also really unexpected i've never had anything else quite like it and i love that when something is delicious and it's an experience and it's also something that is completely unique and and that's very rare to have you know something like that that fulfills all of those things um and some of the drinks are much more complex and require a significant amount of time to make. And the reason for that is because um, a lot of these beverages call for an infusion. And the idea behind that is, so alcohol, what it does is... Uh, alcohol does a really incredible job sort of pulling the flavor out of things. And so you can stick stuff in alcohol and the alcohol will draw all of these incredibly intense flavors out of it. So a lot of the recipes in this book call for infusions in which you take a shit ton of alcohol and you put the ingredients into it and let it hang out for a couple of weeks Until the flavors have really been thoroughly extracted. And then you take the stuff out and you keep the alcohol. And then that has been infused with all of these incredible flavors. And at that point, then you go ahead and you make your beverage. So, yes, a lot of these are quite complex. But they're very fucking worth it. Um, One of my favorite infusions... That I have made so far and I haven't done a lot of them because like I said it requires some planning um one of my favorite ones that I've made was pepper infused gin and basically what you do is you throw some peppercorns into some gin and you let it hang out for a while and We like, we use pepper all the time, especially the pre ground stuff that comes in a shaker and you like just plop, plop, plop it over your food. And I think that really does pepper a disservice because pepper is actually very, very complex when you grind it fresh. And when you take whole peppercorns and you put them in, like I'll use whole peppercorns a lot when I'm making chicken stock. And When you put whole peppercorns into chicken stock, the flavor that you get out of the peppercorns becomes just magical. It has all of these layers and it's not just heat. There's this sort of like earthiness to it too that I don't think you really necessarily get when, you know, you're shaking it out pre-ground out of a shaker. And the same thing happens when you infuse gin with peppercorns. It, it brings out all of these flavors that you wouldn't get otherwise and and you you end up with something that is really complex and zippy and you may, it makes a really great drink and the drink in question is called Fellini's Insalata and in addition to the peppercorn infused gin There is a lot of balsamic vinegar, tomatoes, basil, lime juice. So this is not a super sweet drink. This is a beverage that you're getting a lot of more savory flavors out of. And I love that idea that uh, I really didn't encounter until I got this book. That idea of, you know, a cocktail not necessarily being something super sweet being something complex and savory too and one of one of my other favorite drinks that i have made several times is called the rockette and it's also kind of spicy it includes lime juice agave arugula gin um and that's really it and there's a lot of muddling And if you've never muddled for a cocktail, I highly recommend it because you again extract so many flavors that you would not otherwise get. And the Roquette is like muddled arugula with gin and lime juice. And that's essentially it. And it really, you really get that sort of peppery grassy flavor that arugula has that i think is just so really wonderful and it adds this element of of extra sort of zip and freshness to the gin so like i said these all of these cocktails have this sort of like magical complex flavor extraction thing happening and yeah they're all like very wizard like and I think that that is you know I I think that I think that that is the key to you know to sort of the process that happens and, and, you know, perhaps I'm, I'm connecting to things that aren't necessarily connected. So please bear with me as I go through this. Um, but this is how I see it. Um, I think that that's what happens when you learn how to sit with things that are difficult and things that make you uncomfortable. I think that when you do that, um, you learn how to process things. And you sort of learn how to digest them and you learn how to transform them. And to me, at least, and I could be completely full of shit here. um, I was an English major and English majors, if nothing else, are great at bullshitting. Um, But I really think that... You know, that's that's sort of that's sort of what you can see in all of these recipes. You see that transformation, you see that sort of there's there's this balancing act very often of sweetness and spiciness. There is a complexity of flavor in which things aren't competing with each other. And you're also tasting things that you don't typically taste together. They're sort of elements that would typically be considered disparate, but they're being brought together by just the mix, the overall cohesiveness of the of the drink itself. And that is something that is Really, really, really incredibly difficult to achieve. Like, no matter what it is you're making, um, whether it be like drinks or like, I don't know, if you're a yoga instructor and you're teaching yoga classes, if you are, you know, a, 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 a musician and you're composing songs, taking disparate elements and pulling them together. And not just making them bounce off of each other, but also making them sort of at some point like meet in the middle and become something cohesive and something that is, you know, both, both pleasant and challenging. To whomever is experiencing it. I mean, that is like the, the ultimate goal. And that is a really difficult thing to do. And, and I really think that a lot of that has to do with having self-awareness. That's just me. I could be, like I said, I could be completely and totally full of shit. And I'm totally okay with that. That's just sort of how I see things. I see, I see these things sort of like come together. And, and I think that a lot of times you can see people's experiences in the art that they create. Um and, and yeah that duality to me of sort of what alcohol represented to uh to Matthew Bianchi and Yellow, and then sort of the positive that it became for him uh is is something that I mean, I'm not looking at this as like, oh, this is like an inspirational story or something. No, this is like, you're talking about a process. You know what I mean? You're talking about uh, something that had to be worked through and and very much experienced and dealt with. And not everyone, not everyone is always at a point in their life where they can do that. And you have to be very much open to it. And... You know i think that a lot of us view alcohol as you know our culture for sure views alcohol as sort of a way of escape uh you, you see you know i know that certainly when i was in college there was very much this sort of um culture of course of like drinking very heavily on the weekends and partying and getting like super smashed or, and Um, and I don't know how much college students do that anymore. I'm sure it still happens. Um, and so I think that alcohol is very often viewed as a means of escape from difficult feelings. And because, you know, it like, it's very effective. It's definitely something that takes you out of where you are. Are mentally because it kind of obliterates anything that you have mentally, unless you're in a really bad place and then it just makes it worse. And so, you know, I I think that very often it's very easy to use alcohol as a way to, you know, get away from whatever it is that is going on in our lives that is difficult to deal with. And And yet some of us have such negative experiences with it, and and Matthew Bianchaniello did, that he was escaping, he was running away from this means of escape that so many people use. And then I think that, um, you know, in the end... He was forced to confront that. And and I'm not really sure, you know, and only he can tell you this. It doesn't seem like that was actually a choice. He sort of took this job as a bartender out of necessity. And by sort of sitting with that, which is, you know, exactly what you're not doing when you're drinking to excess, but by sitting with that sort of discomfort, he, he learned something about, you know, like what it could, what else it could be and what else it could do. And, you know, he turned that into something really, really truly amazing. And so, yes, uh, this is a cookbook that I've learned a lot from about You know, sort of what a cocktail can be. And it's, it's not, it's not the one that you pull out when you're having, it's not necessarily the one that you pull out if you want to have a ton of drinks because all of these are relatively complex and take time to make. And they also have sort of this intensity of flavor that forces you to slow down. And drink them you know over a long period of time and you know I think that that you know uh, that the different approach that was brought to this book regarding alcohol and sort of the appreciation for what it could really do from like a flavor perspective is the reason why you have these these beverages that are designed more to be sipped very slowly rather than like chugged. And I, I think that like just from the sheer fact that there's a lot of effort involved in making these, and then also the fact that they are so flavorful and so strong, you, you end up with an experience that is intended to be savored. And so by being someone, I, I really truly think that being someone who was approaching alcohol from a place of, you know, not really wanting anything to do with it, I think that you ended up with an end product that does something that our society doesn't expect from alcohol And and that's because it was approached from such a radically different angle than I think it typically would be. And that's very, that's lovely. And I think it's also instructive. I think that it can tell us a lot about what our own relationship, you know, with, with cocktails and wine and beer. I think it can tell us what our relationship with those things are. And I think that it can also when we're forced to sit and drink something slowly and enjoy it and maybe be challenged by it because it's bitter or it's spicy or, you know, we have to sort of get through multiple flavors to sort of get the whole complexity of it. I think that that, you know, that's an experience that some of us have not really had with, with cocktails before. And I think that it is an experience that Depending on, you know, how you approach it and how open you are to it, I think it can be really genuinely transformative. And yeah, I, I, I love these things about cooking and about food. And I know that I've talked about these things a lot on this podcast, but, um, yeah, when approached from a really, you know, a place like that, I, I think that these things can be genuinely transformative. I think that they can teach us, um, and it's just f- and it's just food or a drink, you know what I mean? And yeah, when those very simple everyday things become things that you know can help us sort of gain perspective on how to you know maybe treat other areas of our life, um, then yeah, that's that's really lovely. And also, like that's sort of the ultimate point, I think, to these kinds of things. Um, so yeah, don't forget to sit with your uncomfortable feelings and don't forget that you can make something really lovely out of them. As for, uh, I don't think I mentioned this previously, but the photography in this book is, is of course, gorgeous. Um, there's all this very luscious, Sort of like food happening in glasses and with, you know, liquids happening and all of these sort of muddled, you know, liquids and, and things. And so, yes, the photography is lovely. It's, it's a very tall, sort of slender book. It, it's not super hefty, but it's well worth it. Even if you don't ever make Any of the things in this book, it's worth having on your shelf simply because I really think it's, it's beautiful and it's inspiring. And this idea, like I said, of spending a long time making the drink and extracting the flavor from the various ingredients is, is instructive, not just for the making of cocktails, but also for the making of all things. Um, the dessert section is, um, of course, especially wonderful. There's a candy cap mushroom bourbon ice cream. Uh, that sounds amazing. I haven't made that, but I want to. And then another one that I very much want to make is the whole enchilada, which it, they're like these these shots um, that are like mezcal, tequila, and then like a sriracha sauce. Um, Whoa. It sounds intense, and it sounds wonderful, and I very, very much want to make one of those. So these are inventive, and they're fun, and like a lot of inventive and fun things, it comes from an unexpectedly difficult place. And yeah, like I said, I, I think that that's kind of lovely, and, and I think that life is very often complex, and very often throws us curveballs and very often is difficult. And and I know I talked about this a lot last time, but um, I talked about this in my JK Rowling episode. Where um, I think that, you know, we're all better for and we're all much less likely to, you know, We're much more likely to be good humans and we're much more likely to leave a positive mark on the world when we know ourselves and we are willing to face, you know, whatever darkness is within us. And and you know we all kind of like are on this roller coaster and we all have good days and we all have bad days and i think that very often we think that you know progress is linear and it's just not um you know i'm i'm every every book is going to sort of present you with the distilled and the refined version of things and and ultimately life isn't like that um you're you're going to have moments where you know you're you're doing really really super well and you feel like you've got it all under control and you've learned what you need to know and you feel equipped and you feel prepared and then you know life is going to give you a curveball or you know something in your brain just isn't going to quite work right or you're not going to have enough sleep one day and and you're going to go a few steps backward and that can be very frustrating but you know we we have to sit with that you know and and we have to acknowledge that We're human and we have to sort of be there with the difficult things and and sort of, you know, allow them to be part of us. Yeah, I I think that that's really, really the the big thing is, you know, allow your your negative feelings to be part of you because they are and we all have those negative feelings and you know that's completely okay and it's better to to know that they're there and acknowledge that they're part of I- your identity and to sort of work through them and potentially you know use them for for good make something of them than it is to try to you know push them off to the side and so yeah for me that's sort of what this this book represents is that magic that comes of being there with those challenging things and letting them transform you and then using that to transform and make magic with whatever it is that you are working on and uh yeah, uh, that is what comes from listening to excellent podcasts like Ologies, <laughs> and um, and I think that this is a, this was a, an especially good book to pick because um, it is a cookbook about cocktails, <laughs> and this is uh, cocktails and cookbooks with me, Megan Morgan. Thank you for hanging out and listening to my ramblings once again. And I hope that your day has been lovely and will be lovely. And I hope that you find yourself able to hang out with those difficult things, hang out with your discomfort and see what it can teach you and see what you can make with it. And I don't say that to you know like minimize any like pain or suffering that you're going through because that would suck. no. Um, all I'm saying is that you know um, you can choose to take the negative experiences that you have and you can you can choose to respond to them in a way, that spreads the pain around and that hurts more people further or you can sit with it and let it transform you into a better person and that's a very difficult thing and it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of sort of like conscious work I think sometimes but if you can do that and you can you know, make something positive of that ultimately, in the end, then you're doing all right, you know, as far as human beings go. Yeah, I think that that's kind of the goal. So, like I said, thank you. Uh The name of the book is Eat Your Drink, Culinary Cocktails by Matthew Beyond Chen Yellow. The name of the cocktail was a, well, it was a variation on Monkey See, Monkey Do in the book I discussed tonight. And uh, thank you so much for listening. I am so very appreciative. And just go out there and do the best you can. All right. Thank you so much. Have a lovely day. Bye.